Yeah, yeah, yeah. My father, yeah, you're looking at, um, I don't know, 675 or whatever. I started to buy stuff, um, buy 45s and buy, um, uh, somebody gave me an eight track player. And then I started making tapes for the people in the neighborhood. In other words, the tapes like heavy tapes, but in the neighborhood. And I think my older brother's friends, I, but they would start by your house, right? They break yeah, another one, another one, another one, and there was another guy in the neighborhood. I'm going to date. They used to do it to me in Queens. I'm going out to get you got a tape. They call yes. me. They saw the song is on it. I want this song on it. Yeah, well, I was like, what, what do you mean you want a tape? This is remember that. I forgot about that. Yeah, and then there was another guy. In the neighborhood, right after me, Patty Tapes, he passed away, rest in peace. He lived on Avenue W. Right. And he did uh, tapes, but the difference was he used a reel-to-reel. Now, um, he would do, like, block parties and stuff later on, and uh, we became good friends. And he would, if, if he didn't bring his turntables or he brought them, he would play a reel-to-reel, which was pre-mixed. And then I'm like, how do you do a song? Well, I got these three eight-track plays. I stack them up, and then I plug the reel-to-reel so I can make three copies of one tape. And I'm like, oh, oh I was right. I'm like, okay, so yeah, I upped my game a little bit, and I started doing that. And uh, that was the, the introduction to what later became disco. And right around like 1974 or 75, only a few people, if you lived in New York, you remember there was the first disco station. It was not WKTA, which people think it is. First disco station was Disco 102. That's right. Disco 102. And it was, I guess it was like a Saturday night. And this is the time of, um, I would hear the conversations of my older, my friends, all the brothers about places like Productions. These are all in Brooklyn. Revelations in Brooklyn. Uh, Dr. Phil Funny's in Brooklyn. These were all these clubs that... There you go. <laughs> oh, I got to get this. This is my next door name. You believe? Hello? So anyway, could you imagine that? Disco 102, everybody. Okay? And, and, and there was also yeah. another... Station. I don't know who that is, no. AM thing. No, I don't know. I can't uh, remember. No, but my neighbor next door. There's somebody blocking the driveway. I don't know. I don't have to leave. But anyway, uh, you were talking about seven, huh? I was talking about that AM station too at midnight around the same time. WWRL. Thank you. WWRL. <laughs> right. But um, Disco 102. Uh, they were playing the Tramps. Where do we go from here? Gloria Gaynor. Uh, ecstasy, passion, and pain for you people who know that stuff. This is pre in the early seventies, pre studio, yeah. And um, um, and that's when my mind started to wander. I said to myself, "This this stuff is so good." And now that there are places that you can go where there are women and people that meet, and I would love to take what I'm doing in my house and do it in front of people. That would be something. Now, you see how the rock drummer thing and this is the same thing, but it's just the music is different. And instead of me playing an instrument, I'm DJ. It's the same thing. It's music. So that was my, like, yeah, yeah, this, this would be really, really cool. So then, um, heck, I, you know, I would 
oh, this that guy Ralphie that makes the tapes and all that. And, you know, you start doing this and that. He's a good kid. Look at him. He makes a good tape. Yeah, but again, you got to remember, I'm still, I still have this fear that's inside of me that was with me my entire life. There's a fear of only going and being safe, not going past a certain thing. And, and that was a problem because I didn't have anybody to emulate. I didn't know anybody that did what I did. Uh, I mean, my friend, like Patty Tapes, he, that was a side thing for him. He, I don't know, just fought out of business or whatever. And, and I didn't know any DJs in clubs. I've heard of DJs, but I didn't know any of them. And I'm still a kid. I'm like 13, 14 years old. And then um, uh, one day it was, I was in junior high school. I was in junior high school, going to high school, I think the last year. And my friends, I go to my friend's house to go, you know, to go out and hang out. My friend's brother comes over to me and says, listen, what are you doing Saturday night? He says, I'm not doing nothing. He goes, I want you to get your records and I want you to come to the Drift-In, Coney Island, the Avenue, King's Highway. We want you to play the music. Really? Yeah, make sure you that. As a matter of fact, I'll come and pick you up. <laughs> it's over enough for sure. Yeah. So I had, I don't know, a uh, stack of records. Like, you know, most of them were were uh, albums. I think, the, I think like the first 12 inch I had was uh, To Be With You. I forget the, the, the artist, uh, When Love Is New. Midnight Love Affair was out at that time. Uh, Down to Love Town, all that stuff. So I went on a Saturday and went to this place. And the DJ booth, it was a, this was a bar, small bar. And I walked in and I was, you know, wow, okay, this is the owner of this one, that one, that one. And in the back room, there was an office. You walk in, there was like the ice machine when you made a right. And there was a little small kitchen. And you made a left. There was a curtain. There was a DJ booth in there. And there was a... Uh, I think it was two uh, SL 1500s. They had like just come out and they had a club member one mixer, but it was the first time that I, you looked out of this glass and you saw like a dance floor. I mean, it wasn't a big dance floor, but it was like, wow. And I just started playing. And then all the, remember, I'm a kid. I'm like 14, and all the all the girls are like 16, 17, and I'm like, oh my God. And I'm the, now I'm like, oh, he's so cute. And I'm loving it. I am. This is the deal. Drinks? They're giving me drinks for free? Oh my God. I, this is heaven. And I stood there for, uh, I don't know. About seven, eight months. And this is when things start getting really, really fast. Um, I remember having a girlfriend at the time. I think she was my first girlfriend. And I was telling her, you know, I'm, I'm going to start work at this club. You're not going to work in our club. I'm not, we're not going to be together. We're going to work in a club. So I had to make a decision. Girlfriend, don't work in a club or a club, excuse me, bar or work in a bar and no girlfriend. I think we all know. The decision that I made. <laughs> yeah, the decision went the other, the, the opposite direction. We got yeah, it. Yeah. Girl, you left the bar back there. We yeah. got it. 
And that was the beginning of a long and winding road that hasn't ended. Sometimes I still can't believe it. Just weird. Okay, so if we take the drift in, start up, baby, turn on the machine, take us on the journey now. Okay. Um, so it gets exciting, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Cool. This is the turning point. Um, my One of my cousins gets married, and I'm in the bridal party. So anybody from the 70s knows <laughs> the bridal party. You all are aware. Uh, the bridal party has this, the guys have the same shirts and ties and everything, and the women have the Iana. Crush velvet blue tuxedo with the big bow tie and the ruffles with the sash. <laughs> I still got a picture somewhere. I couldn't find it. I wanted to give it to you to show how funny I look. But um, uh, after the wedding was over, we just, my, my cousin and I decided to go out. He says, where do you want to go? I said, how do I know? And don't ask me how. I don't know where he just, he just said there's a place in Bayridge called 2001. I'm going to show that picture, everybody. Yeah. Cartoon version of it. Yeah, that's the, that, that, came, that was, uh, came later. I'll explain what that picture is. That's, that's what it looked like. It's an illustration of it. In other words, it's a real photo, but they, they did an illustration of it. So he and, goes, um, we, uh, that's what we want. I mean, he took his father's car or whatever. Now, I'm pretty sure that I went home and changed and put on regular clothes because I wouldn't have to lay out with a tuxedo like that, sticking out like a sore thumb. Anyway, we go to the club. And um, I know it was, I think it was Gloria Gaynor or Carol Douglas or somebody was there. It was a band they were charging a cover thing. And I remember going in. This is the first, like, club that I went in. You know, you walk in, you all of a sudden you turn and you see this big room and loud music. And I'm like, wow, I worked in a bar. It was, what 50 people and you couldn't walk this place you're talking about 500 people was big i was like wow this is really really cool and i remember my first drink rum and coke it's like a dollar 50 <laughs> i'm on a bar i'm sitting there sipping my drink and i'm looking around the first thing i said to myself where's the music coming from and i look around and i look and i look locate the booth on the stage and I look and i'm saying to myself wait a minute that's Mike Rella. I gotta mention Mike Rella. Mike Rella, I went to high school with, and um, we, we had. But he was in a rock band and and stuff like that. We had similar interests. So I'm trying to get his attention. I can't believe he's the he's the DJ playing Wow! I'm trying to get his attention, and geez, because we come up, so me and my cousin go up, and uh, what's going on? And we start talking. How the hell did you? I didn't know you were a DJ. It's just here, well, you know, my band plays here, and uh, he's just trying to be cool, which he was a good guy. And um, what ended up happening was, um, I was so taken back of what was going on in the boot. Now you got to remember, this is the beginning of of uh, a part where a lot of people don't understand. At that time, Saturday Night Fever did not exist. There was no inclination. Disco was an underground neighborhood thing that, you know, people, like I said, the radio, Disco 102, all of that stuff. It was a place to go other than a bar. But it was a music and people doing like the bus stop and things like that. So um, there was no there was no movie to 
bring people there. It was just a neighborhood thing. I mean, there were clubs in Bay, other clubs in Bay Ridge that people were going to, but this was just a club that, that happened to be there. And I just, just happened to all this happened freakly or whatever. So we're in there for about 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And then this guy comes in the booth and it ends up being the owner's son. And the owner's son was the DJ there, but he was the DJ. It turns out that Mike used to open and close for Chuck. Now, he didn't really tell me that, and and I get it, but okay, fine. But anyway, I I started hitting, hitting it off with Chuck, and we're talking about uh, sound systems and EQs, and, and I, I noticed a strange, very strange thing happened, which I did not expect. There was a band, whatever band it was, and they were starting to tune up before the show goes on. And all of a sudden, they pulled the plug for the music out by mistake. You know, everything went out. Why? Because the guy was trying to plug his amp into the stage. And that's how bad the wiring was. It's like, I saw that. And to me, I knew at an early age, to, to, to excuse the language, fuck up in front of people for any reason is fucking bad. And I was like, oh my God. It so, they put the thing back in. The music goes on. Never chuck ch- on that thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. oh, my plug. And by the way, next week, this person here, that person's here. And I just looked at him. And I says, man. But why don't you fix it? It's so easy to fix. Put the plug somewhere else where you're not going to pull it out. And from that moment on, we, we kind of hit it off. And, and, and it was cool. So um, nobody knew. This all of this stuff was chance, all chance. And um, but even before you go there, what was this club Odyssey known for before it was a neighborhood disco? Because people, okay, were- yeah, oh, okay, because you got to explain the yes. Odyssey thing of what it was. Okay. Two thousand and one Odyssey is at eight hundred two sixty fourth Street in Brooklyn. It was known. It was called before Odyssey. The it was called Club Eight Hundred Two, and I'm talking from like the late forties. Up until 1976, when it became 2001 Odyssey, I'll get to that real quick. But um, it was a place that my parents would have went to to go see Lou Monty, um, any of those stars, like the, the all those shows that were like the late 40s, 50s, and 60s. All of those bands that they, they would do shows there. I can't really think of like Lou Monty, Darcy, Glenn Miller, yeah, 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 stuff like that. In other words. Man, the people man. who made it big that were on their way down, and then the people that were happening at the time. I'm sure they had like 50s groups, but it was it was a Norwegian, like a Knights of Columbus type of thing. And the building was old. The uh, 19, I mean, the, everything that was in there from 1940 was probably still in there. That's how old it was. It was not a glamorous looking place. It was all dark and stuff. But um, later on in, in 1976, the owner, Chuck, the guy that I was talking about, the DJ, went to his father because the, it was kind of dwindling at that time, the, the people going to see all these old acts and stuff. So, you know, he was, Chuck was like four or five years older than me. So he had gone to. Um, What's Chuck's you know, family name for everybody? What's so his, his name? name was Russinak. Chuck Russinak. Chuck had a sister. Um, uh, let me see. Chuck and his sister Denise, 
Uh, his girlfriend ended up with Buttons, who was uh, became, was in the movie, and so it's, it was it was like camaraderie things. So remember, I'm I'm like brand new. I'm there a week, two weeks, uh, just meeting Chuck for the first time, and then Chuck invites me to come on Wednesday because they have bands, and one of the bands was Mike Rell's band. They would play, you know, they would have like uh, nights. So, um, uh, Odyssey was uh, changed into. 2001 Odyssey in 1976. Chuck, they went and they went to like Delancey Street and bought those plastic balls that look like planets and they put them up with fish line and they wanted to make it look like it was a space thing after the movie 2001 Odyssey. There was a movie that came out in the late 70s, early 70s. So they put like tinfoil on the walls and it was dark and Christmas lights. And now if you watch this, a lot of people, you don't pay attention to stuff sometimes, but it had Christmas lights along the walls, and you could see it in the movie. And it was like, later on, I just laughed at that. Unbelievable! But big upgrade, everybody! Christmas lights, yeah, Christmas lights, and the tables and chairs were old tables from different heights and uh, chairs, plastic chairs, wood chairs, and the tablecloths were like red plaid and red and green. There was no color coordination. Pizzeria style. Exactly. Yes, yes, exactly. Old, old pizzeria style stuff. There was a kitchen in there. They used to serve food and all of that stuff. But it was not a glamorous place by far, by, by no means. So, um, um, by the time I had gotten there, uh, we're looking at uh, 70, end of 76, beginning of 77. Um, it was the same club, but it was just disco. Now, the floor, there was no glided desk, but there was none of that stuff there. Um, I'll, I'll fast forward to the, to the good part, which um, I come one, I come in one night and um, uh, Oh, I come up. I actually had had the night off at the drift, and I was still working. And I came in on, on my night off, and um, I remember walking up to the club, and I seen that there was like a brawl going on in the front. Guys, it's you know, kind of commotion. I'm coming up club, and I see that Mike, my friend Mike, was involved, and they were pulling these people apart, whatever. And and now. He he was too awkward for me. Hey, Mike, what's going on? I think it's a bad time. But he goes downstairs into the club, into the part where the stripper is in the movie, that, that small area. And Chuck is down there, and they're wiping his eye, and he's like, fuck this. I ain't fucking doing this no more. Da, 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 da. What the hell is that? So we go up into the booth, and Chuck starts playing, and, and Chuck is saying, you know, Mike doesn't – he's done. He doesn't want to work here anymore. He, he – so something happened with his girlfriend. There was a fight, and he, Mike wasn't that type of a guy. Clubs wasn't really his thing. He was really into the rock shit. So he was going to quit. He's going to quit. And then Chuck says to me, how about this? Why don't you come and work here? I forget what I was getting at to drift in. $30 a night at the time, which is $30 a night. You work twice a week, 60 bucks a day. Drinks and drinks and drinks, right? Right. We'll give you. I think it was like fifty bucks for the night. You'll open and close for me, but sometimes I don't come in until twelve one. Maybe I won't play 
just that kind of thing. So I, so I, I had to make a decision to myself. I said, no, do I want to stay in the ball where I'm playing or get a chance to play in a club that's big, nice? And evidently, we all know the decisions that I made. I decided to do that. But now I felt kind of bad for Mike. And I also had a problem, of course, back then, you don't walk out of a situation that's handed to you by people that you know because it's just not right. So it just so happens that uh, I think what happened, the, the guys that were in the drifting, the, my, my friend's older brothers had a problem with the owner or something, and they didn't stay there anymore. So now all I needed to do was, I asked Mike, if maybe Mike wants to play where I'm playing, and I'll play where he's playing. And Mike agreed. He went there. He loved it. Nobody bothered him. He was in the booth, and that was it. So the story is, I went there. He went there. And under any other circumstance, it would have been just, you know, that thing that happens every day. Mike was happy. I was happy. And that was it. But then, then all of a sudden, like I, I heard this, just these things. I, I don't know. It's just a weird kind of thing. Um, I, I come in. Uh, uh, I played, I don't know, maybe two, three, but let's, let's say a month, a month's worth of nights. So Chuck comes in and he says, you know, they're going to be filming a movie here. I'm like a movie. What kind of movie? So disco, a movie about disco. And I'm like, really? And I says, who's in this movie? And he goes, John Travolta. And I'm like, who? The fuck is John Travolta? My John. You know, welcome back, Carter, sweater. I'm like, you know, no. that, yeah. Right. No, I, I don't know. What, I don't know what this is. Now you have to understand. To anybody around the world who's watching this. The only people that would know this would be people that are from New York or especially Brooklyn. There was a show called uh, Welcome Back, Cotter. It was, there it is. That's the cast of it. And it was, it was a Saturday nights or Fridays, which is one of the reasons why I didn't see it. But the guy in the corner on the bottom and the left, that's John Travolta. He played a Brooklyn high school, like a satellite class, the class that that uh, gets in trouble all the time. They needed special guidance. And the teacher was hired to, in other words, he went to that school and he was hired by the principal to come back and teach the people the way they wanted to, because he was the only one that knew how to teach them because he came from the neighborhood. And that's therefore his welcome back Carter. And it was all filmed. It was supposed to be about a, a high school in Brooklyn. Uh, if you watch the... Um, the, the show at the beginning of the show, and they actually show Lafayette High School, and they'll show uh, New York High School and stuff like that. So, little to me knowing all of this, if they're going to be filming this movie, I don't know who this guy is. So, Chuck brings in this magazine, and did, did you see, I, I guess it was kind of forgotten about, but the year before, it should be June 76. Is that it? I can't see it. I think it's June, June 7th, 1976. Unoblivious to me and, and probably a lot of people because I, I'm not, I don't read New York magazine. There's no reason for it, but he brings in this magazine. And I'm looking at this thing and I realized that the front cover and the pictures inside were pictures from that were taken at 2001, the year before. Now, if you look at these pictures, now, th this is a very, very, very important picture because that is the basis, that person right there with the blue shirt is the basis of the character that John Travolta played. His name was Eugene Robinson. There was a real 
Tony Manero, but his name was Eugene Robinson. He didn't work in a paint store. He worked in a fruit store, I think. I'm not sure. But if you look closely, look at the rug on the floor. That's the actual rug that was there. And if you look where the guy's left foot is with the, with the olive pants, the dance floor was tin. And if you look up in the back in the corner, that's where Travolta sat. And, and then there's a long story short. This guy, Nick Khan came in and, and was going to visit somebody in New York. I, I can't remember the actual reason why. Yeah, those are the real pictures and without the illustrations. But he sat and he started writing this fictitious story about this Brooklyn person and he, labeled it around this guy, Eugene Robinson, who was walking. And he wasn't like a Travolta dancer and that kind of stuff. He just danced. And he kind of noticed that this guy was, uh, people gravitated to him. And they, um, yeah, I forget it. I was supposed to be his girlfriend at the time. Look at the shoes. Jesus. But he kind of got an idea. Look at the club. Those are the wedges. Those are wedges. I remember that girls used to wear the wedges. Yeah, wedges, right. But look at that. Look at the, like a, like the diner seats. And, and yeah. uh, <laughs> I mean, come on. Come on, you gotta be freaking kidding me. The place was, uh, you know, it was a dive back then. You could see, like, again, the metal floor there. But anyway, um, uh, I forget the guy's name is Nick Khan, Nick Khan Khan, and they put this thing in, in, uh, New York Magazine. And now Chuck just told me that the movie is based on this thing. Now, I never read it before, so now I start reading it. Now, if you read that, you can get it online. It was the basis of the screenplay that was written later that became Saturday Night Fever. But part of it was, you know, they wanted to give it uh, some extra stuff. So if you if you know that movie, because I keep forgetting too, as old as I am now, there are people that have never seen Saturday Night Fever. They were too young. And there are people that only knew of it by hearing about it, but never really looked at it. Right. And what it was about it was a it was it was about a Brooklyn dancer, obviously that that's the nowhere job. But there was subplots in there, subplots. So okay, that's him being that that's a take from I guess that's okay. Cut, John. Let's take a picture. Click, and that was the thing that was that was actually the movie poster, but it's a different shot. He's getting you know, his arm is up. Like, can you see him? You get the idea. His arm is in the air. So yeah, uh, that made the movie right. Yeah, that, that made the movie poster. Now you have to understand something. Um, when this thing, when this movie started being filmed, uh, I was invited to come down to see and hang out. And like, it was a Wednesday. It was really cool. So they had been filming all over Bay Ridge. And I remember seeing stuff, um, uh, filming here in Bay Ridge in the hallway store, uh, filming there. It was, it was that's it. That's actually 86th Street. In front of Lenny's Pizzeria, where he eats the the slices. So yeah, what is happening? Right, they're holding the crown back. They got to hold, yeah, hold the crown back. And what you have to understand is, you see, if this was being filmed in in Nevada, was being filmed anywhere outside of New York, they wouldn't have had this problem. But there was millions of people that were watching this show, Welcome Back, Carter. And once this thing got into the newspaper. They, they couldn't. They couldn't shoot anywhere. Every time that, that somebody found leaked where the where the shots were, yeah, filming in yeah, filming in brothers, and there was all these little things, and and they're not realizing that they're tipping people off. And these are all kids. A lot of the young girls, 13, 14, 15, and plus regular neighborhood kids from a baby boom generation of thousands of kids that were going to those shoots every day, and they could not get any footage in 
they kept it. Quiet on the set. Yeah, quiet on the set. Scream and yell and blah, blah, blah. This is the outside filming. So then what had happened was if I, yeah, that, that's in front of Shark Town. That's a, that's a classic picture there. That's like, oh, man. When he that's says, cool. the guy says to him, let me put on layaway. Yeah, layaway. The shirt for layaway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I like that. These pictures, these are pictures from a collection that, I mean, maybe a couple of people have seen them. And maybe if you looked into it, maybe you'll see them online later. But these are pictures that, were taken by Percy, either me or people that I know that were on the set. And that's another one. I think that's on Fifth Avenue or something. That's him coming out of his trailer. Hang on. Hang on. You said to me something yesterday. I'm not going to let you forget. Remember we mentioned about envelopes and Brooklyn. So remember Brooklyn this time is mafioso hard. So let Mr. D tell you what how bad it was. Go ahead, Ralph. Before they filmed scenes in in the club, they filmed scenes or or, or the location scenes. And what happened was um, that the the, the, um, the producers and the, the scouting locators got smart. They started putting out fake um, fake call sheets and fake uh, uh, locations. That we're going to film on 78th Street and 3rd Avenue at 5 o'clock in the morning at this time. Meanwhile, they weren't. They were actually filming on, you know, it was 11th Avenue and this. So everybody would go there and they would get their shots in for all that time. So then what happened is, um, I think it came via phone call or it came via somebody came to the set and went to the production manager and says, listen, you know, you're in our neighborhood. You want your shooting to go well? You're going to have to talk to us. Otherwise, you ain't going to be able to film. So what ended up happening was, first of all, this is somebody that knows that was this. They got very, very scared. And they went to the higher person up. And the higher person up says, should we call the cops? And they called the cops. And the guy got a phone call from a guy from the FBI. And they wanted him to wear a wire. And he had no idea about any kind of mob shit or all that stuff. And once he was briefed and found, he was like, I ain't wearing a wire. I don't know what you're talking about. Boom. So what ended up happening, um, they ended up, you know, having to pay. And they, from what I heard, once a week, I believe it was, they had to leave an envelope in the bowling alley across the street from Odyssey with the bartender. And they their guys were going in, get their money, and they would allow them. There was always somebody there watching the filming. And if you look, I mean, I don't know if, how many pictures there. There's, there's pictures. A lot of that movie was filmed in the streets. They they would have never, ever, ever been able to do that without those people. So now, you know, you're, you're a production company, and you have a job to finish this movie. And listen, if it's going to end up adding to your bottom line of how much it's going to cost you to do it, they did it. And, um, you know, that's a great shot. Yeah, that's uh, I, I think they've given directions, directions on the Verrazano Bridge of, um, of, of, yeah, that scene that was up there, one of the scenes. But yeah, even to, even to shut that st- stuff down in your back then. You know, you look at the Verrazano Bridge, you can never pull a car over and leave it there and go jumping on cables. I mean, come on. You got white suits on and nice shit. You're going to do that. But again, these are things you realize later on. But uh, again, I got to say, so most of the realism, they, they, they tried their best with the realism and stuff, and, and it worked out pretty well. 